0: Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. I am very grateful that I get to welcome Natasha Levi to the podcast today. And I'm not going to say too much by way of introduction for Natasha, for the simple reason that she expresses herself and her life story so poignantly and so much more eloquently than I think that I could. Um, But I will say that Natasha, who is half Ukrainian and half Russian speaks to us today from her new home of Hungary, where she and her husband are raising their baby girl and investing um, the majority of their free time and energy into caring for orphans. Natasha's childhood was lonely and difficult, but her story is about finding, receiving, and then giving away love. Now, as far as Natasha's recipe, it is a first for the storied recipe. Uh, Russian pelmeni. her recipe is a laborious hand-rolled dumpling, very similar to the pierogi, which I have featured before on the podcast. But Natasha was very clear on the fact that no one in her life had time to make these pelmeni, So Natasha's recipe comes frozen from a bag, just like I think if we're honest, many of the foods that we have eaten, then there wasn't really quite enough time or energy or money to go around. And I am happy to acknowledge that frozen pelmeni was still a food that brought comfort and nourishment to Natasha in dark times. And I'm glad that Natasha was willing to say this. And finally, she is going to share a chapter in her story where someone did take the time and the energy and the love to make her handmade Palmeni. Um, Just like her story, Natasha's, uh, sorry, just like her recipe, Natasha's story is realistic. It's raw. It's authentic. And she does remind us that there is so much hope in this world and in the next, but that Hope doesn't come um in the form of an after school special or a tidy um a tidy bow at the end of a movie. Hope and love come to us only in the form of sacrifice and persistence. This is a powerful story and one that I feel again so very grateful to Natasha for sharing. So welcome, Natasha, and welcome to you um, if you're listening to the podcast. I'm so Thankful to share this conversation with you today.
1: Hi, Becky. Hi, Natasha. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What's it like in Hungary? Where, where in Hungary are you? I'm in the eastern part. It's called Miskolc. It's Mishkolz. almost on the border with Ukraine.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, what's it like there right now?
1: It's really nice. The spring has come Mm. So it's very warm outside, and you can see how uh, trees are starting to bud.
0: Oh, beautiful! That's very similar to where it, how it is right now here, where I am in, um, in I, I'm in Maryland, right outside uh-huh. of Washington D.C. Okay, so t- I'm looking at a map here. Um, okay, so you're in like the northeast because most of the east borders with Romania, but the northeast mm-hmm. is kind of ordering with the southwest of Ukraine.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: I see. I see. Okay. Well, happy spring.
1: Thank you so much. Happy spring to you too.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So um, you didn't grow up in Hungary. Tell me a little bit about what you, who you live there with and um, what you do there right now.
1: Right now I live um, with my husband and my daughter. She's almost one years old. She's going mm. to be one in two weeks in April. Oh, happy birthday to her. <laughs> thank you and um so what we're doing here mm. yeah so my husband works he works full-time and i am staying at home with abigail that's the name of my daughter oh. and um so that's our main main thing what we're doing our days are filled with he uh, he works from home so we're together all, uh, all day pretty much oh, and wow. i take care of abigail also i have a food blog So Mm -hmm. I do a lot on that there, which works well because I cook anyway. So I cook and then (laughs) take pictures and then I post about it. So it is not as much time for me. And we also, as I mentioned in the the emails that we Mm -hmm. go to the orphanages and we try to build relationships with the kids here. That is another thing that is kind of a theme for Mm -hmm. our lives, probably.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's actually what brought you to Hungary, right? Um, A desire to work with the orphans there?
1: Almost. I um, came here at first to attend a Bible college. Mm. When I was about 19, 18, 19 years old, I heard that there is such thing as Bible college outside of Russia. And I really had this adventurous spirit, didn't want to stay inside, even though there are Bible colleges within Russia. But Mm. I just thought that it would be fun to go somewhere else. Mm and. I actually didn't know Hungary existed. <laughs> it's mm. such a small country, and uh, not you don't hear about Hungary so often. So I wasn't that excited at first to come here. But um, as a teenager, I didn't have so much money to pay for uh, Bible college, and they had really good scholarships here in Hungary. So I thought that if if I do go abroad, probably it's going to be Hungary for now. Mm. And I decided to do uh, to do it. And then after two years, I stayed to help at a church in western hungary and there where there is where i started visiting orphanages but more like um like getting getting to know this kind of ministry because i wasn't very familiar with orphanages with kids kids the uh, ministry or teaching kids wasn't something that i was very good at or familiar with mm-hmm. and i think it took me a long time in order to really come to love and understand um, this kind of work to understand kids where they're coming from and not get frustrated with the way they are but rather have compassion I think it took me a few years definitely
0: interesting what did you expect of them and what was reality
1: I thought that they need help I thought that they're happy to spend time with anybody who wants to come visit them they will be easy that they're happy to play games. What I didn't understand is that they are very closed off to new people. Mm-hmm. They don't trust just anybody. Mm-hmm. And what I also didn't understand back then is that even if you do spend some time with them, some months, and they come to trust you, they start testing you. They start testing the boundaries. Are you really going to love me if I do this or mm-hmm. if I do this? And then you think they hate you, but in fact, it is just a process of them testing you and seeing whether you are trustworthy because they've been betrayed by multiple people in their lives especially mm-hmm. caretakers they come and go mm-hmm. they get close to them they um, atta- get attached to them you know mm-hmm. like to parents in some way and then the caretaker leaves and mm-hmm. another comes and so i think with time they just grow indifferent mm-hmm. and they don't trust new new connections and new people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so that that kind of what was the reality of it also with language it was hard for me because hungarian is a very difficult language and it's not something you can pick up in a year but when you go to the orphanage and you don't have a translator and kids kind of make fun of you you know for mm-hmm. not knowing hungarian and then kids also speak a very simple language so you learn simple words with them mm-hmm. um and i think with time i learned the language better so now it's very different from what it was let's say five years ago Mm -hmm. now we have kids come to our house throughout the week they come when they can after school we go on saturday to their uh, home and on sundays we also meet uh, at our house like we invite them to our house on sunday afternoons or they come to the church with us Mm -hmm. um and now i can have relationships with them like as if they were friends on some Mm -hmm. level because Mm -hmm. I understand them in Hungarian and I understand better where they're they're coming from because I myself had a past that was kind of connected to being orphaned not entirely, but in some way. So to a degree I could understand them, but I didn't know um, how my upbringing affected me until I went through some difficult times. And then I did therapy for one and a half years where I was able to see a lot of things about myself that I didn't understand before that helped me. Mm. Um, connect better to people from similar backgrounds.
0: Mm. 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 Okay, yeah, and we're gonna we're definitely gonna dive deep into that, into your background and how that affected you. And um, for now, to to stay on what you do in Hungary, um, your husband works full time. Now he doesn't work for or at the orphanage. That's just kind of a way that he makes money, what his mm-hmm. job. But but your mission, you feel to be there, is mm-hmm. to really. Try to be a stable Mm -hmm. force in these children's life. Is that true?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that for me, Mm -hmm. um, I feel that from the beginning of when I started working, when I was 18, the first, the second job that I got was at the orphanage and it was random. At first, Mm -hmm. I worked at McDonald's to pay for my uh, room. And then Mm -hmm. the next job I got after university was at an orphanage and it wasn't something that I studied. But, for some reason, I felt so excited to work there, and they invited me. And then I kind of got to know a little bit about this orphan life. Um, then, later, when I moved to Hungary, we went on mission trips within with the Bible College, and we visited orphans a lot. Then mm. I also um had a has I have a friend who is American, and she led teams that mm. came to Europe, and they focused on orphanages. Then, after the Bible college, um, mission organization that is focusing on orphanage ministry reached out to me without me even seeking them out Mm -hmm. and they asked me if i would like to work for them be sent Mm -hmm. from them to work with the orphanages and then um later when i met my husband in Mishkolz, we also met at an orphanage when he was visiting and helping us translate i see and he had a calling for his life to do orphan ministry separately from me. He wow. became a Christian when he was a teenager or maybe like 18, 19 years old or 20. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was reading his Bible one day and in James, it says that the pure religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And so he said that when he read that, he felt that he has to do something about it because you know he is a believer, he believes that the Bible is true. And so he wants to do what it says and, and, and it clearly yeah. says you should visit them. And so he had a big um, desire to do that ever since then. And there is a huge orphanage here. There are actually so many orphanages within this this little town. And the biggest one
0: Mm
1: -hmm. is the one that we go to. And it is right next to the university where most um, young people study. And my husband was studying there too Mm -hmm. back then. And then he thought, why don't I go there? There were some other volunteers that were going so he could join a team. Wow. And that's how it started. Wow. Is your husband Hungarian? Yes, he's Hungarian. I see. He's from here. This is his hometown. (laughs) Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So in the U.S., we don't
0: have orphanages. And I want to be very quick to say that I don't actually necessarily think that our system is better. Um, I think as Americans, we think that we have moved past orphanages. But actually, we have a system where mm, really one of the very, very few ways Women or parents can say, "I can't handle this." Is to abuse their children. That's actually the Mm -hmm. only way to have children taken out of their home, unless they go through an adoption process early, which, for a lot of cultural reasons, um, is not something that's encouraged here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two adoptive adopted children, and um, yeah, it's not. It's it's our whole culture is against adoption. Um, I think unknowingly, I don't think they necessarily realize that they are, but that is how our system and our culture is set up. So I don't want to say that our system here is better because um, our system is very broken. The foster care system is, if you ask mm-hmm. anyone who's been involved in it at all, it's a disaster. It's a total disaster. But um, from a point of education, why Why do most children end up in orphanages in Hungary? How does that happen? What age do they generally end up there? Um, You talk about the betrayals that they've suffered. What are the kinds of things that you see over and over and over
1: again in
0: orphanages in Hungary?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, The common theme in in the orphanages in Hungary is gypsy kids get in the orphanages. Gypsy families are very common throughout Hungary and they don't have their own country. So they're present everywhere in Europe. But in Hungary, there are a lot of them. And they have a lot a lot of kids. But they have very, very poor living conditions. Mm-hmm. And culturally, it is hard to break away from your upbringing. If your mom and dad didn't work and they taught you how to drink and smoke early on in life, it's hard to break away from that and be a responsible person. Individual who is going to, you know, live differently. So most kids just follow the example and um, kids get taken away only when the family can't anymore support them. They don't go to school and the school notices that they're not coming. So the teacher is going to do something about it, like contact maybe um, the child services and then they go and see if the living conditions are good or not and take the kids away. A lot of kids that could be taken away are not taken away because the family still somehow is able to hold it together that they at least have enough living space at least they have enough food to feed them at least the kids go to school Um, if the kids are being abused and and the neighbor reports that then the kids get taken away and the age can be of anywhere from you know at birth to 15 13 years old Mm -hmm. Um, and what we see is that orphan kids have orphaned kids later on because in the orphanage the girls they look for somebody they can rely on they can trust and a lot of times they find boyfriends that they feel close with like as if they were their family mm-hmm. and so they get pregnant and a lot of times they don't know they're pregnant until they're a few months in and here you can't abort your baby if you are I don't know like 3 months maybe mm-hmm. and the girls end up having uh babies which Mm -hmm. I think is better than aborting a baby, but they would, of course, the caretakers would take them to abort the baby rather, Mm -hmm. because that's their worldview, that you'd rather get rid of this baby than let this baby grow up in the same conditions that you did. But um, a lot of girls give up their babies. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. recently we had a girl who gave birth a second time, and she is 13. So she had Mm -hmm. already two babies, and they're in the orphanage. And then another girl is... 16 and she had a baby just now and it was a sad story because at first she wrote a paper that she will give up her baby because they told her to to do that for some reason they said her you know caretaker said it will be better then she gave birth and she felt sad about it she wanted to keep the baby but they they said well you signed the paper sir we're not gonna let you keep the baby mm. and it was hard for mm. her because now for the rest of her life she's also going to think like where is my child you know and and mm. also she was told that he was adopted because um the child was white and had blue eyes. So mm. that child had more chances because gypsy kids don't get adopted normally. Um yeah. There's so, so much to
0: unpack that's heartbreaking yeah. in that in that last exchange. Just so much to unpack. So most of these children are not actually orphans. They've been um b- they've been removed from their homes. And yes. Okay. And most of them not not voluntarily. Like the parents have not yeah. placed them in this situation no. voluntarily.
1: No, a lot of kids are there because their parents are in prison. That's also another thing. Mm-hmm. And it's you can't adopt them unless their parents write a paper that they, you know, give up their parental rights. But right. I don't know exactly how it works, but I think they get money for the kids as long as they belong to them.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not
1: sure, but somebody told me that and that's why they don't want to give up on them. So the kids kind of stuck. They can't be adopted either.
0: hmm What are the conditions like in these orphanages? I know um, globally, there's just a massive problem with um, one trafficking. I mean, again, as like an adoptive parent that I've looked into a lot of this, um, international adoptions are just tied up with trafficking and there's just Mm -hmm. no getting around that. Um, It doesn't mean that everyone is by any Mm -hmm. means. It doesn't mean that adoption can't happen ethically, um, but it's just something that unfortunately a lot of people turn away from uh, that reality, when in fact, I think it's something that, you know, the entire adoption community needs to address. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also, you know, globally, a lot of abuse in orphanages. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say the conditions are like there in Hungary?
1: It depends on Mm -hmm. the home. Right now, the government is trying to break up all the bigger orphanages into smaller apartments, and, mm-hmm. and in one apartment there is about let's say ten to fifteen kids, and they're mm-hmm. able to live in a sort of family circumstances. Mm-hmm. Where the how, last how many adults f- would there be with that ten or fifteen? Um, maybe five. I think mm-hmm. uh, a caretaker mm-hmm. works every two days. I'm not sure but maybe about five per group. Wow. And, um, yeah, so the government is trying to break those up. And the last big orphanage is the one here, I believe, as long as, as far as I know. And they've been trying. They've been trying to break this one up too. And they removed a lot of kids into smaller homes. And they've been trying to remove this big one, finally. Demolish the huge building that is half empty. Looks terrible. Yeah. Looks like from a horror movie. It's it's so old. And they yeah. realize that they want to destroy. It. They want to put kids in a better home. But the problem is that when they started building Um, a new place for them in a in some town nearby the uh, citizens of that town the people who were living there they found out that there's an orphanage being built and they started complaining about it so the city Mm. leader didn't want trouble so they decided okay let's not have an orphanage here then they started building in another town and the same story happened so they can't find a place because nobody wants to have an orphanage next to them because the kids have bad reputation Um, So the conditions depend on the place the little homes the smaller homes sometimes are very nice they look um very taken care of Mm -hmm. they've been um how do you say like remodeled or updated or Mm -hmm. you know um and kids have their rooms of course the problem is that there's it's still not safe even though it looks nice yeah. It's not safe because the kids are not allowed to lock their rooms. They're not allowed to lock toilets either, yeah. because for different reasons. You know, sometimes kids will cut themselves or they will now lock the room for bad reasons that you don't want them to lock themselves in the room by themselves or with someone else. So they they don't have privacy and mm-hmm. um, it's not safe. So the guys can go over to girls' rooms and um, girls are not safe either.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I I think that it looks better nowadays how they live but still but then they don't feel as safe as a, as in the home they would yeah, be yeah right 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 but you persist.
0: You persist in trying. How do you? How do you not give up in the face of this? I think most of us would just turn away and say it's just too overwhelming. I can't handle it. It's not good for my mental health, you know. But you mm-hmm. see this pain um, day after day. Sometimes you know you're dropping kids off to a situation where they're not safe. But you can. You and your husband continue to persist and um, doing what you can. How do you? How do you do that? How do you just? stay um stay faithful knowing that your impact is limited
1: i think i would have given up many times Mm. and i think i had breaks in that Mm. work where i thought okay i don't want to go back it is too much for me Mm -hmm. but i always came back somehow because i'm surrounded by people who do this and i always get inspired to go back Mm. and just to think that um, god cares about it he cares about orphans you know and that's what that's kind of the biggest offering i don't know you can Mm -hmm. or the biggest service you can do to god to care for the people that he cares for who don't have anybody and Mm. i think right now what keeps me motivated is my husband because he has way more perseverance and strength to do these things somehow maybe because he just has a better mental state overall and he is able to be balanced and stable and He knows what he's doing. He speaks the language. So maybe he feels a bit more safe. I don't know, but he has a big passion for it. And it's easier uh, because even if I feel like I don't have much to give today, I can just come along, you know, and give what Mm -hmm. I can because he's going to lead the whole event. Mm -hmm. Um, When we invite them over to our home, what's easier for me now is that I don't have to be the one to entertain them the whole time. I can just Mm -hmm. be there. And sometimes I can um, have a conversation or go on a walk with them or just, play with them with a baby or just sit and listen to the Mm -hmm. conversations they're having with my husband or with each other. And I think that makes it way easier. Mm -hmm. The conditions on how you try to do it. I think there was a time when I did it wrong. I moved. I didn't have any sort of job or contract and I moved to a town to go to the orphanage. I was living with a family um, who had 15 kids of their own. And then I was living in the room with one of their kids and every day i would go to the orphanages there were maybe four uh, little apartments and so i would go every day to one or two of them and didn't take any days off because i thought well i'm just here for one month and i want to um, do as much as i can and oftentimes i didn't have anybody going with me or didn't have a translator and my hungarian was halfway i think there so it was not i didn't it's not like i didn't understand anything but there Mm -hmm. were difficult moments too and after that month i was so tired after that month covid started and everything shut down and i was so thankful that Mm. i'm forced to not continue doing this because i felt like i have to i felt Mm -hmm. sense that i must you know but i was so tired and um during covid i actually didn't mind being shot in a house right. by myself <laughs> right you know so i think it right. depends on how you do it it's important to maintain yourself it's like you know when you're when you have a car you have to take care of the car and not mm. drive it when it's broken so that it doesn't die
0: <laughs> mm. Mm. this is this is wise advice okay i'd like to um well first of all Thank you for that work that you do. Um, And thank you for sharing, you know, the wisdom that you've shared so far and just for making us think about these situations that are going on all over the world, um, certainly here in the U.S. as well. Um, And just to remind us that it's not um, it's not like an after school special movie. It's not like you break Mm -hmm. through with um, troubled people with a couple of smiles and, you know, a cup of hot chocolate, it takes Mm -hmm. difficult work and some things won't necessarily ever be broken. Um, some, some patterns or thought patterns or things like that. So thank you for reminding us to persevere in those situations that, um, those lives are precious to God. And so they should be precious to us. That's mm-hmm. I, I thank you for that. So, what I'd like to do is start to talk about um, how you became again this person that is willing to you know give your life over to this work and to this service and to dive into your story, which is not necessarily an easy story, but um, but there's redemption in it. Which um, which mm-hmm. which thank thank God for that, right? So, mm-hmm. um, let's do that by starting with your. Recipe. And what I loved about your recipe is that you gave me like a good old fashioned frozen food that you make from a bag by dumping it into a um, pot of boiling water. And I so appreciated, Natasha, that you were so, um, I think it took kind of maybe even almost like a humility to do that because, you know, we like to, um, talk about these these um elaborate dishes that we made and and the tender and happy memories and so much of that is so wonderful and I love that about that pot, this podcast but the reality is that food is often very functional and our lives sometimes are difficult or busy enough that they don't allow for rolling out individual um pierogies mm-hmm. or you know pel- pelmeni um in this mm-hmm. case and so i i would like to to know about that so first tell us what is pel- is it pelmeni is that how i say it it mm-hmm. mm-hmm. tell us about pelmeni um what is it and why did you choose this recipe
1: so pelmeni is it's like pierogi mm-hmm. you talked about it in one of your episodes i remember mm-hmm. so probably people would have an idea but basically you have um, dough, you roll out the dough and then you have little circles that, um, you, whether you can cut, cut it out from the dough with like a cup, or you can just roll the dough into like a sausage and then cut, cut that dough into small little balls Mm -hmm. and roll that out. And then you put a little bit of meat on the inside, uh, close the dough on itself and then boil it. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's pretty much it. You can have a lot of different fillings, but many are made with meat only. And yeah. meat, maybe onions or something, and everything else would be called a different name. Um, and the reason I chose this first piece because that was the comfort food I can think of mm. growing up. My mom and dad were working a lot and uh, they worked away from home so far that they would come home, I don't know, eight, sometimes nine or 10 p.m. And at home when I came from school i had to make something for myself to eat and pelmeni was of, often the only option and my mm-hmm. favorite option too because mm-hmm. it was comfort food that we had mm-hmm. and it has some special flavor i can't really point out what is so special about it <laughs> but here when i go to a store and i i've looked many times in every in every store probably they have what's called tortelloni and it's italian yes. dish
0: Mm-hmm. very and similar look mm-hmm.
1: yeah I tried it many times and it's just it's never the same <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I think maybe this time it will be exactly like the menu, but no I gave up on it I don't buy them anymore mm. they have some different filling um, and we ate it everywhere we um, as I also mentioned we lived in Ukraine and in Russia during mm. summers we would go to Ukraine and then we would live throughout the year in Russia mm. and everyone would eat palmeni my grandma my ukrainian grandma would make it for us she would make it with uh, water she would add the water that they boiled in then mm-hmm. put some dill on top mm-hmm. which is a ukrainian thing you put dill and everything dill mm-hmm. and sour cream mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think we ate sour cream with palmeni too and mm-hmm. then she would serve this dark bread which in russia we have two types of bread one is white and another one is black we call it black bread but i think it's just I don't know what it's made with, with, like rye flour. I don't know. It's really dark brown. Mm-hmm. And that's what they ate pan menu with. Mm-hmm. In the trash show, my dad would just mix mayo and ketchup together and then eat it with that. So we mm. followed the example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and To this day, I like mayo and ketchup mixed together, although some people think it's gross. I don't know. No, why, but...
0: we eat it. My husband loves mayo and ketchup and we <laughs> eat it. Yeah, we eat it on stuff sometimes. Yep.
1: Yeah. And here they just don't sell it. The only Russian store they had, was in Budapest, but I think after the war started, they could have closed it now. Mm. I think the only time I had here in Hungary was in Italy when I went to a Russian store and I bought it there Mm -hmm. to share with the church. And then one time in a camp, that was another story.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. Do you want to tell that story or that's later? That's what we're going to talk about later with the guy who made it for you. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that later for sure. Um, Okay. So you said your parents were, um, well, just one more practical question about the recipe. You said in Russia, you would eat it with white bread or black bread. Um, In Ukraine, you would eat it with dill and sour cream. Would you eat it with bread in Ukraine as well?
1: So in Ukraine, we would eat it with bread and in Russia, we, did, we ate it without bread. My mom oh. uh, would always say that if there is any dough or flour involved in the dish, you never eat bread with it because she <laughs> felt it's silly. <laughs> Why would you eat bread if there is already bread in, in, in the place? Right. So we never ate bread with Pemini mean, in Russia.
0: I see. I see. I see. But Ukraine was more carb friendly.
1: <laughs> yes. My grandma was more carb friendly.
0: <laughs> I see. I see. So you said your parents were working... Um, all the time. Generally, I guess that's because there's not a lot of money um, Mm -hmm. to go around. Tell me a little bit about your parents and about your childhood. What were they doing? Where were they working?
1: When I was born, my mom was a student, so she was still Mm -hmm. studying at home. Mm -hmm. Is this in
0: Russia or Ukraine? In Russia. Okay. Your mom's Russian, your dad's Ukrainian.
1: Yes, that's right. And then my dad Mm -hmm. moved from Ukraine to Russia and that's where they met with my mom and got married. Mm -hmm. So we lived in russia and his family my dad's family lived in ukraine so we would visit them often um and my mom would study and then my grandma would come uh, visit us from ukraine and then watch us watch me mainly because my sister was born a bit later a couple years later and then she started working at a bank she's um Some finance kind of worker. So she worked at a bank. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and my dad was in military because that's how he could get an apartment. Apartments in St. Petersburg, that's where I'm from, Mm -hmm. are very expensive and they were students. They didn't have any, um, family background that could help them get a place of their own. So he knew that if he's going to serve, let's say 10 years, 20 years in military, then he gets a free apartment forever. And, Um, So he didn't get paid much for that because it's a very poorly paid uh, job. And my mom had to work away from home. And so it would take her maybe one and a half hours to just get to her job and then back. And sometimes she would have to stay longer hours. So I think my dad would come home earlier a bit. I don't remember exactly when, but when he would come home, he would just go to his room and watch TV or do his own thing. And so we didn't really we still felt kind of like we were alone at home. So it's not that we spent time with him or that we wanted to spend time with him, but my mom would come home sometimes very late and we would stay up late with her too and then be very sleepy in the morning. And in school, oftentimes I'd fall asleep during the classes. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. You're so tired. So if your dad was home, you didn't want to spend time with him. But if your mom was home, you would go out of your way to spend time with her. Yeah.
1: Mm. My dad didn't like that. He forced, he was very how do you say um he really wanted us to go to sleep earlier because the teachers were complaining that we sleep uh, during the classes but my mom wanted to spend time with us and we went to music school so we needed to do homework she wanted to help us practice piano and just talk to us and spend Mm -hmm. time with us my dad was abusive in many ways he was also an alcoholic at some point so he was that kind of person actually a lot of russian people have that problem and Mm -hmm. ukrainian people too somehow it's just a theme that people drink a lot and domestic abuse is so common so we saw our dad as somebody you know i don't know violent or mean and so we didn't necessarily want to spend time with him because he was that way all the time i guess also hard life made Mm -hmm. him this way being in the military not having money constantly fighting with my mom his mom was super strict. His parents divorced. So his whole background wasn't that, um, you know, nice either. So it's just piled mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you ever feel like you had to protect your mom or did he mainly lash out at you and your sister?
1: No, he mainly lashed out at my mom. And I did feel like I had to protect my mom all the time. Um, and I somehow I have this very vivid episode from my childhood when i think maybe i was like five six or six seven years old and um, my mom came home he picked her up with a car uh, from work and then brought her home and she was crying for some reason and then he took her to the kitchen and he wanted her to cook dinner but she was so tired and she was crying because she just had a bad day and she was still in her coat and her hat and everything and it was just such a weird um picture for me. And I just went to the kitchen and I asked my dad to come out for a second. And then he came out and I tried to explain to him. I said, she's tired. Maybe you should j- just leave her alone and let her just do what she wants and, and just leave her because she's tired and just go to your room and then we'll take care of everything. We'll just be with my mom. Mm-hmm. And he didn't listen to me. He mm-hmm. just went back to the kitchen and continued fighting with her. And I remember that moment, I think is when I realized that there's no point in trying to convince him, ask him, um, reason with him. I think I think I realized that he just does what he wants to do and it makes no sense. And that's when I lost trust, I guess, and trying to communicate. And that's when I shut down. And I um whenever he would yell at me or um at my sister, at my mom, I would just shut down, say nothing, wait until it's over and go on with with life. Mm.
0: So you were only five years old when you decided that you didn't want a relationship with your dad, that you couldn't have a relationship with your dad.
1: Yeah. I, I don't remember how old I was, but I think it was between five and seven. But my mom told me that when I was three, I told her that I never want to get married because I don't want to have a husband because the only man I knew was my dad. Wow. Um, And when I met my uncle, who le- also my mom's family lives really far away from St. Petersburg, next to Ural Mountains, which is co- like one and a half days by train. And wow. planes didn't really go back then, or maybe we didn't go by plane. So it would take one and a half days to get there. And my uncle is my mom's brother. He's a very kind man. When mm-hmm. I met with him, my mom told me, I don't remember these things. I was maybe three. Mm-hmm. And she said that I told her. But I was surprised that there are kind men in this world, that men could be kind. I had just an idea that all men are mean, so I don't want to get married because why would I want to have a mean person in my house? And I was three when I said that to her. Wow.
0: Wow. So you carried all that burden with you. And that's, like you said, part of the reason why you can um, empathize with with some of the children that you work with.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. probably. To a degree.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you left home um, at 18. Tell me about that decision and where did you go? What were the next few years like for you? You went to Hungary.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went, I left home at 18 and I went to Hungary at 20. It took me a couple years. Mm-hmm. At first, um, I left because at 17, I started attending a church. When I was 16, I started kind of asking questions. We are a very how do you say superstitious family and superstitious country. Everybody believes that there is something bigger. We believe that a black if a black cat runs across the road, then you're gonna have a bad day. If it's Mm a Friday 13th, you don't make any big decisions. If you forgot something at home when you already left, then you have to come back and look in the mirror so that nothing Mm -hmm. bad happens to you. People believe this and very seriously do. So they, they think there is something bigger, but they don't necessarily believe in god um that there is a person you know um Mm. that was a deliberate
0: decision from the from the um communist government right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yes they really worked hard on that and when i was 16 it was natural for me to um want to find out more about uh, you know some supernatural things my friend just shared that when she has bad days, she goes to an Orthodox temple and she finds some sort of peaceful atmosphere that helps her calm down. And one time I just decided to try when I had a bad day, when I was maybe 16 years old. And then, um, it worked. Like I went there and there was a priest, you know, who prayed for me. There was just a line of people who were standing to be prayed for by a priest. And so I, th- I thought that, well, if a priest prays for you, maybe it has some power. And then he prayed for me and I just felt better i think maybe it it could be anything it could be god it could be just you know the atmosphere of somebody caring for you Mm -hmm. but after that i decided that i want to know more about this whole religion and i started attending orthodox temple and doing all the you know prayers rituals and things like that but i had no idea what it's all about and about maybe 17 years old that's when i started attending a different church that was more bible centered and they explained to me what is the you know the whole meaning of this religion that it's not just doing rituals and then feeling better but there is a whole bigger meaning behind it and when i started attending a church my parents weren't happy about it my dad thought it's a sect he was very angry he um was threatening me But I remember telling him that if you continue threatening me, then I'll become a nun and just leave this house. And then he he just turned around and left the room and never bothered me like that. (laughs) But my mom, she was scared of my dad. So she told me when I turned, when I, when I was 17, my dad said, you can't go to church until you're 17, well, until you're 18. And then when you're 18, you can do anything you want. Mm. Um, my pastor at the church said, well, if your dad said that, then you should obey him and then don't come until you're 18. And then mm. w- in one year, you can come. And then I waited one year when I was 18. I didn't tell anybody, but I went back to church. And then my mom found out about it. And she told me that if I want to continue going to church, I should move out from the house because she's afraid of my dad. And. I was really happy that she said that because my parents are very controlling and I wanted to move out, but was afraid they wouldn't approve of it. But that felt to me like an open door that, okay, she said I should move out. And so I did. I found a job at McDonald's. I was studying in a university and renting a room with my um, group mate from the university. And for a couple of years, I was in Russia uh, studying, then working. And then um, I couldn't find my place, just felt a little bit Mm -hmm. lost in the world i guess and um there were some people from america that i mentioned before who would come on short-term missions trips and they would go to the orphanages and sometimes to the camps that our church would also organize and i met a few people there who told me about you know bible college and Mm -hmm. uh, missions And I was inspired because it felt that those people have so much more to life. They have happiness. And I felt so sad, depressed, just, I felt so incapable of living life. Just somehow I saw people are happy. They have purpose in life. They're they doing something. They feel fulfilled. And I just feel so lost. And so I thought maybe out there somewhere, I'll find my purpose. I'll find something, you know, Mm -hmm. that will make me feel better. And that's how I started Finding um, finding more information about the Bible College and then eventually moved to Hungary. And at first, I just wanted to move for a couple months because I was working at a place that didn't pay much. They were a nonprofit, so they would. I was responsible for. PR. So I was kind of asking for donations from everywhere, all kinds of businesses, restaurants would just try to make some deals. Like we would put a box where people donate, you know, like in McDonald's, they have Mm -hmm. these little boxes or uh, ask for help with, I don't know, cleaning the carpet or taking the kids out to some movies and and organizing this to Mm -hmm. help the orphanage survive. So I was paid minimum, Mm -hmm. like minimal uh, wage and couldn't pay for the Bible college. But after the first semester, just people helped I don't know just the college had this system that if anybody needs help they had some reserves from donations that would cover you know for people who couldn't pay for themselves and then just through that I stayed for an extra year later for internship and uh, wanted to do missions because I did school of missions then internship and I was really inspired and excited about doing mm-hmm. missions mm-hmm. and that's how I moved to Western Hungary I see um.
0: you said you wanted to find happiness. You wanted to find purpose. You saw mm-hmm. it in these other people. Do you think you found that ultimately by doing missions and working with the children in the orphanage or was there something else? Was there something intrinsic to your new faith that gave that to you? Does that question make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what it took is some time of healing. The reason why I felt so lonely and lost is because I just didn't have a family. When Mm -hmm. I was at home, my mom wasn't spending time with us. She was a depressed woman herself. Mm -hmm. My sister could be a friend to me, but I was missing some deep sense of family and belonging. Mm -hmm. And while in uh, by having faith, you do belong to a bigger family, you do belong to God. Still, mm-hmm. on a human level, you feel that something is missing. And when after two years in Chopron, mm-hmm. that's precisely why I uh, got depressed. I got depressed in Chopron because I was looking for that belonging for that family. And after two years of different stories, you know, I just felt so broken and. and a friend of mine from America, again, the same lady mm-hmm. who was coming on the short mission trips, she invited me to come to her home after those two years in Western Hungary. And then in her house, I was for about a couple months in her house and four months altogether in the States. So uh, I was with her throughout those four months, but sometimes I would leave and um, be with other friends. Mm-hmm. And So her, her home
0: was in the U.S. and you yes, went... And- okay Mm -hmm. i see Mm -hmm.
1: yeah in california and Mm -hmm. then that was healing time for me i think because she became that mother figure for me that i didn't have and she helped me so much she was also into christian counseling and and Mm -hmm. working through her own things from her past and then she helped me see a lot of things in my life and I was able to share some events or thoughts or feelings from my own life that I never shared with anybody and she encouraged me to find a counselor myself and I did and then I was able to share even more with the counselor and that's when I felt more freedom when I finally felt that somebody cares and I can share my darkest secrets and then somebody can you know hear me and not freak out or Mm -hmm. and and be compassionate towards me and I think that period of time brought me a lot of insight Mm -hmm. into my own life, understanding helped me repair relationships with people and have a closer relationship with God, I think, and also accept myself and learn to enjoy being by myself because before I felt that being by myself is so pointless because my existence is so miserable, but then I learned to appreciate just existing, just being and uh, spending time by myself too. And I think, Altogether helped me heal that brokenness inside that I had from growing up almost alone in some ways. Mm-hmm. And wow. later, now that I have a family, I think it's a continuous process that God mm-hmm. continuously heals me in some areas. And in some areas, I'm still broken. And then family helps a lot too, because here I never feel lonely because my husband works from home. Mm-hmm. So we're always together. And I think it is a gift of God, that, you know, it's like redemption, like you mentioned in mm-hmm. the beginning, that at first, in the beginning of my life, I was alone mm-hmm. for so long. And then finally, now I'm not just not alone, but I'm extra not alone, that even mm-hmm. my husband <laughs> is from home, you know, I don't have to be alone with my baby, um, mm-hmm. like all women do, because that's mm-hmm. the reality of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Most do, right. Yeah. You felt that you couldn't heal without this counseling and without someone who could listen and 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 hear things without um like you said falling apart um probably Mm -hmm. helped you deal with a lot of shame do you think Mm -hmm. you could have found this healing without your faith also or do you think that was a critical part
1: i think faith is a critical part i think to a degree people can find healing without Mm -hmm. faith of course because Mm -hmm. science of psychology does help understand a lot Mm -hmm. about shame like you mentioned you know about um self-care, burnout, and things like that. Mm. But I think ultimately, when you know that there is a loving father, like if you believe in God and you believe that he's a loving father and you belong to him, then it's a whole new level of peace and comfort that mm. now if I spend time with God you know, every day, I can feel such a sense of peace.
0: Mm. Where in
1: life, if you don't believe in, in God or you just rely on, on life, then you have to find something else to fulfill you. And those things are very flee fleeting or fleeing Uh, how do you say they're short short lived Fleeting is the right word yeah very apt yeah yeah so you wake up you need a coffee that makes you feel good then you talk to a friend maybe or you go to work you um do a fulfilling job but then the day is over you need something else you watch a movie then you sleep then you go for a vacation and you constantly have to keep looking for something that is going to make you feel peace Mm -hmm. and you know many of course there's also things like buddhism or meditation or other things that people are trying to do to find some sense of peace but my faith did definitely help me heal in many ways and still helps because sometimes i can find answers just spending time alone you know with god praying or reading the bible and thinking things through sometimes i can find even more answers to the questions that i have in my mind that people don't necessarily give me but you just somehow realize them looking at life through the lens of face mm-hmm.
0: one of the reasons that i think people find um work like yours so tiring one of the reasons they burn out is because they can't answer the question why mm-hmm. why is this allowed the kind of suffering that you see day in day out with your kids um you know i say your kids you know what i mean mm-hmm. um you, and maybe a lot of times it reminds people like for you of the pain in their own lives. And so, and then why that, right? That's an even more Mm -hmm. personal question. Do you feel like any of this has helped you answer that question? Why?
1: Mm, Why they suffer or why do this kind of work?
0: No, why? Why do people suffer?
1: Why do people suffer? Mm -hmm. Well, The answer that I find is people suffer because of the brokenness of the world, because of the evil in the world. The world is broken. And, you know, in my worldview, it was broken from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that God wants people to suffer. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's just how things are. And mm, we all suffer to a degree.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And being with the suffering people is healing to a degree I think Mm -hmm. because you get to be a part of God's care and redemption for this world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by being a friend of an orphan kid you kind of experience what God wants to be to you Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: that's very profound thank you um, one more question about your faith. You um, you mentioned when you were talking about um, early on, you started going to this Orthodox temple and a priest prayed mm-hmm. for you, and then you would go more often, and then and then you switched to a different church. And you said then mm-hmm. you found that religion was more than mm-hmm. taking part in rituals that made you feel better for a time. Can you explain that? What is that more? hmm
1: yeah um basically you know as i was going to that temple i did a lot of fasting all kinds of things that you know Mm -hmm. you do so that you think that you will become a better person and then once we were in town uh, for a celebration was may 9th we celebrate the end of the world war second world war and then Mm -hmm. huge parades happen everybody has a day off tons of people are In the middle of the city, in the squares, and my sister and me got lost because she took my phone, I think, and I had the money to get home, and she went away somewhere, and we couldn't find each other. And I was just sitting in town, waiting for her. Decided if I try to look for her, and she tries to look for me, we will never find each other. So I'm just gonna find a spot and sit here until she finds me. Mm -hmm. And then I was sitting there until some guy found me. He just came up to me and gave me some brochure. I was like, um, no, thank you. You know, so many people give out all kinds of things, but um he stayed there and then he talked to me and he wanted to share with me about Jesus and about who Jesus is. And at that point, I didn't understand anything because I was so hungry because I was also doing some sort of fasting. Also, Mm -hmm. it was kind of coupled together with wanting to be skinny and then fasting. So Mm -hmm. it was a bit all mixed up together. And then, Mm -hmm. and then uh, he gave me a book about how, why God is real. And then left me there and just, he left, left his phone number if I want to contact him and just left. He was like maybe 40 or something years old. And I was at that time like 17. And so I started reading the book. And what I found interesting is that the way they explained, you know, this whole evolution, how it just doesn't make any sense, um, how Adam and Eve story makes more sense. And then I slowly, slowly started agreeing with it. I agreed that okay, I, I can believe in Adam and Eve more than in evolution just because of logic behind it. Or they would explain how human body is um made or human eye and all this little intricacies and thinking, wow, this really couldn't happen just on its own. Hmm. And um then after reading that book, I met with that guy again. He invited me to their church and their church was Protestant. So it is mm, different it's not in a temple it doesn't happen in temple the services people just dressed up normal the priest is not singing a sermon like in the orthodox temple he's just talking like in a normal way like a friend would talk to you and um talk in a everyday language not like in the temple they would sing it in the old russian and then you could never understand anything Uh, but here you could actually understand what they were talking about and they told me about who jesus is because at the um, center of christian religious religion is um that god himself he saw how broken people are and that they cannot ever make their way to heaven by doing good deeds Mm. he decided to make that way for them Mm. and the only way Is that somebody needs to suffer for this for the sins of the world because God is just, so He can't just discard the sins, the sins, and say, Um, you know, like a judge couldn't discard Mm -hmm. somebody's punishment, even if it was his own son, he couldn't just say, Well, you're my son, so I'm not going to put you to jail. Somebody has to pay that price. And so God Mm -hmm. himself paid that price. He came down to earth and died a human death in order to make a way for us to have a relationship with him and the cool thing about uh, the whole story is that god created the world with that in mind it's not that he created the world then adam and eve sinned and he thought well what should i do now he knew they will sin he knew this will happen and he thought i want to i want to display the biggest love Mm -hmm. anybody could ever you know do and then Mm -hmm. I'm going to create the world and they're going to sin against me. And I'm going to sacrifice myself for them in order to have them as my people, as my children. And Mm -hmm. um, that is the heart of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so the whole point of being a Christian is to constantly have like a continuous relationship with God. Mm -hmm. You don't do, you don't follow simply rules anymore. You, are being changed from the inside. Your mind is being renewed. Mm. What you do, you don't do. Because if I do this, then I will get five extra points with God and then mm-hmm. I'll get to heaven or I'll get a better place in heaven. But you do this because that is just your new lifestyle or your new life and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and God gives that you a new kind life.
0: Of love, That kind of yeah. love. And that's what your husband found when he was just reading in Mm -hmm. his Bible. And he just said, okay, I want to go love in the same way that Jesus loved me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. You, um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. Um, It's really, it's really good news. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good news. um, That kind of, that kind of God that loves us that much. you talked about, um, I'd like to get back to the pelmeni for a second and talk about <laughs> a time, a time that someone loved you in that very specific and um, sacrificial way by making you pelmeni. Can you tell that story?
1: We <laughs> mm-hmm. went to help in one of the camps that our church organizes
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was pregnant and I was so sick every single day. I was in bed even though we were in a camp. In the afternoon I had tasks because in the morning I couldn't even get out from my room. And um, I had cravings sometimes. Sometimes I would just really, really want the chocolate or really, really want something else. And there was a day or not a day or even a period of time when I wanted pill menu so bad and there was no mm. way I could get it because they don't sell it here. I could make it one time. I think I attempted making it and then I froze them all in one batch. They all froze together. Mm. And oh. then I couldn't defre- defre- <laughs> defrost it, put it all, boiled it together and it just all broke up. It was just yeah. a bunch of dough and meat together. And it was a disappointment to me. Yeah. Um, but in that camp there was a guy whose mom was ukrainian i think and he spoke russian mm. and he knew that i was there we talked sometimes and then one day just i don't know why just for some reason they decided they're going to make borscht and pelmeni for me not for the whole camp even they just made um uh, one pot of borscht and uh you know one big pot of pelmeni to feed a few mm. people and uh, I they spent like two days doing it because it takes time to prepare the ingredients um and then they brought it one time at one at the dinner during dinner time to our table and i was shocked that somebody actually took time and and actually thought you know to make this for me yeah Uh, and it was really special and precious yeah did it taste like what you wanted almost <laughs> the, you know, what
0: counts is the thought that what counts. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And I think as a food blogger, you and I both believe that food actually can be one of those ways that we show that kind of love of God, that very specific, um, like you said, this is just for you. This is a gift mm-hmm. for you, a very personal kind of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and the time that the person takes to make it, especially if it's yeah. a dish like that, that takes right. Well, it takes a long time to make.
0: Right. Right. Amazing. I'm surprised. Um I'm surprised by a couple of things when we talk about Hungary and Russia, because Hungary was also a former Soviet nation. It was part of the USSR, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I'm surprised, I think, by how different the food culture is. And I'm surprised that as a Russian and Ukrainian, you hadn't, I mean, in Ukraine, like you said, you literally bordered Hungary and you mm-hmm. didn't know about it as a country. Is that because it didn't have its own identity? It was just kind of subsumed by the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah. So that and then also the earlier question as well. Tell me about the differences in food cultures between mm-hmm. Russia and Hungary.
1: Mhm. The reason we didn't hear about Hungary is, I think, because it wasn't so mainstream. Growing up, we didn't have internet. All we Mm -hmm. had is TV and Hungary wasn't so famous for many things. We knew that there's America, there's England, there's Australia, Germany and bigger countries, China, you know, that Mm -hmm. known for something. And Hungary is just, it's a little country of its own, doesn't have so many brother countries. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Russia and Ukraine and Slovakia, Slovenia, they're all Slovak nations and Mm -hmm. so we kind of like a family so to say but hungary doesn't really have a family it's just its own little country um they don't speak other languages so much they're just speaking hungarian living in their own little world so we didn't know so much about them just because they just didn't come up i guess uh, Mm -hmm. in our lives and um the differences between hungarian and russian cultures i find that eastern hungary is a little bit closer to what Russia is like and Ukraine, mm-hmm. where Western Hungary is more like the West um, of Europe and the world. In the East, people a little bit more, they, they're poorer and they are more relational. I find somehow it connects that if you're if you have less money, mm-hmm. you invite people over, you just spend time with others. Somehow it, it it connects, don't know exactly why. But in the West, when I was living in Chopron, Chopron is this western town mm-hmm. at the border of hungarian western border okay. and there people were i was i lived there for two full years and in the within that church only two families i think one family one time invited me over and the other family was the pastor's family so i would go over to their house a few times and they wow. for two years i was invited only you know a few times to someone's home where here um People are more hospitable and, um, in Russia. Interesting. In Russia, people are more relational. I think it's hard to tell right now because I don't really know what real Russia is like. I grew up in St. Petersburg. It's a big town that has millions and millions of people. So the whole culture is different. Um, it's a big city life. Everybody's going about their own business. Right. It's almost the
0: St. Petersburg culture, not necessarily the Russia culture. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I see. Yeah.
1: So for me, yeah, yeah, so in Hungary, I live in a small village right now. Mm -hmm. And I think I can tell the difference between life in a small village and the life in a big city. Mm -hmm. Where in in a big city, people don't really stop to say hi to each other. They don't, um, they kind of go on a street and they don't notice anybody. Because there are so many people that you get numb to just seeing faces, faces, faces. People push each other on the street in Russia and in Metro on public transport and it's considered normal. Mm-hmm. Where here it's not normal. People are kinder, people are happier in general. Mm-hmm. Um the you know public transport is more taken care of, mm-hmm. the hospital is better, everything mm-hmm. is a little bit higher standard than in Russia. And Russian people are a bit more angry, governmental workers a little bit more grumpy when you call them they're not answering you with a happy voice. They're not happy if you ask them extra questions. Here, um, customer service is way better. And policemen, uh, governmental workers, they're all kind and mm-hmm. happy to help you. They don't allow themselves to be mean with others, where if you go to Russian consulate here, um, they will be mean with you, even within this country. And such a dra- like drastic difference. When I go to a uh, consulate, I am afraid going to go there because I know how I'm going to feel, you know, how they're wow. going to, and they are mean and they were mean to me probably every single time I went there. Wow. So I think that is the biggest difference, wow. but with food, uh, Hungarian food is so strange. Sometimes oh. <laughs> they will eat pasta with cottage cheese and bacon, which for me, cottage cheese is always sweet in Russia. We always oh, cottage really? cheese. Oh, really? huh? and, Bacon is salty, yes. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> pasta, and, you know, and pasta can, pasta is also salty for us. Where for Hungarians they can eat pasta with uh, jam, or pasta wow. with sugar and poppy seeds. Um, yeah, poppy in-
0: seeds on everything, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, I don't know on everything, but they do have some things with poppy seeds. Mm. We also like poppy seeds, but more so in desserts. Mm. Uh, then in Russia we have crepes. That can be sweet or salty. Mm -hmm. And we have restaurants that are dedicated to making crepes. Mm. Where in Hungary, my husband thinks that a savory crepe is unacceptable. (laughs) It It just shouldn't exist. It it can't be. (laughs) Um, Or salty and sweet for some Mm. reason. For him, is not a good... Although in some dishes it is. But for me, I like to... Okay, uh, nothing comes to my mind right now. But for example, he also doesn't like sour cream on anything. Mm. Um, I add sour cream to so many dishes, and sometimes that I'll, I'll think, okay, but for this dish, he definitely will like sour cream because it's so natural. And then he right. would look at me like, "Are you crazy? <laughs> <I'm taking laughs> sour cream with this?" Uh, so I can never predict. Um. And uh, in this culture, they eat a lot of sandwiches. Which, growing up at home, my dad was very angry every time my mom served sandwiches because he thought it's not real food. He wanted. Um, you know, hot meal, a hot meal that my grandma would always make, even for breakfast. When we lived with her during summers, she would wake up at, I don't know how, but early in the morning, we would wake up at eight and she already had, you know, mashed potatoes with meatballs and something else every single morning. She would, then for lunch and for dinner, she would make something separate. And my dad grew up like this. So he wanted my mom to make similar things where here, Um, My husband would eat sandwiches a lot, and I at first thought that he probably would be the same way that he would want me to make um, a meal every time. But sometimes he would actually choose sandwiches over a meal, and I was surprised. Um. Um, But he likes sandwiches better. Somehow in in Hungarian culture, sandwiches are so natural and normal that Mm. people eat them a lot and I'm embracing that slowly (laughs) because I I sometimes (laughs) feel I feel bad if I feed sandwiches to someone because the way I grew up I think that it's almost offensive to feed sandwiches to someone because it's so easy to make but they they like it I love sandwiches
0: I absolutely (laughs) love sandwiches yeah (laughs) but again all those carbs I love them I love
1: them (laughs) yeah
0: Um, Another question I wanted to ask you in terms of just comparing cultures and all of that as a half Russian, half Ukrainian, but you grew up in Russia, spent your summers in Ukraine Mm -hmm. has this um, and now living in Hungary, uh, is Hungary a NATO country?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes,
0: Hungary is a NATO country. What has it been complicated? This war, Russia's war on Ukraine, do you have complicated feelings about it? Or uh, does that affect your like daily mental life? What is that like for you?
1: At first, when it started, it was scary because nobody Mm -hmm. knew what it was going to happen. I was pregnant in my eighth month, I think, or ninth Mm -hmm. ninth month. And we didn't know is the war going to come to Hungary because Hungary is the next country next to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And in that case, we even had to make a plan. Like, what will we do if they say that tomorrow there is a war? We wanted, you know, to flee, to think through like which country we would go to and things like that. Because at first, when there is a war, you have a little short amount of time when you can leave the country. Then they make a law that men can't leave, like in Ukraine they did. Right. So you have to leave as soon as you can. And we had to think of that, make plans. What would we do if that were to happen? And it was scary. Um, Then slowly, slowly, people got used to the war. Nothing Mm -hmm. happened. My Ukrainian family doesn't talk to us anymore because my grandpa, his wife, my grandma died but my grandpa has a different wife and they both feel very offended by russians they say that if you are not being put to jail for opposing russian government then you are a, an enemy you betrayed us that you didn't mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that you would also come and kill ukrainians and things like things like that so uh, they kind of cut us off mm-hmm. um and then in Russia nothing really changed just in economical ways people who were doing business with other countries they had to leave the country and my sister moved to dubai because of that mm-hmm. my dad has his own company so he he's okay my mom is okay they also have a russian company and nothing really changed so much for mm-hmm. them and the only thing that is still stressful mm-hmm. we had a lot of refugees that would come through and There are a lot of houses in Budapest that house uh, refugees. We had a few stay at the church. And I think for me personally, what is stressful is that I need to get my papers because Mm -hmm. after I got married, my name changed Mm -hmm. and I can only get a new identity card or passport in Russia, within inside Russia. So I have to go in personally. And I think the stress about it is that you never know what's going to happen. A few days ago, they said that they uh, made this warrant arrest warrant or something that you know for Putin mm, that if mm-hmm. he is going to leave his country, that certain countries are obligated to arrest him. Mm-hmm. So things are changing slowly slowly, slowly. So you never know when is it going to be bad enough that I won't be able to leave Russia mm-hmm. if I go there. And it's a bit scary that if I go there, I have to stay for a week or two and if something happens within those two weeks and I'm stuck, you know it's a bit scary but also on the other hand that is scary i know that kind of you know god brought me up to this point and he i I, what gives me peace is knowing that god knows he knows what's going to happen and he will take (laughs) me through this and i'm planning to go maybe in may um (laughs) june when we get our papers together and i think that probably is the only thing i just hope to get my papers get a resident like a permanent residency here and really don't have any desire to go back mm-hmm. because it's just so broken right now um mm-hmm. that's on a personal level other mm-hmm. than that honestly i think people got used to this sadly mm-hmm. to the whole war situation but wars are everywhere in a sense that it is a reality of everyday life and mm-hmm. people got used to it you know mm-hmm. and now that there's a war with ukraine People were scared that it's going to touch them at first. People were scared that the third world war will happen. That's why everybody was kind of um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: unsettled. And now that everybody can continue living their lives comfortably, I think it became mm-hmm. more, um, they became more numb to it, probably. It's in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like think it's COVID. in the background <laughs> for
0: a lot in the U.S. Mm-hmm. 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 So you're trying to get your permanent residency. So my last question is um, about your daughter. Do you think that she will consider Hungary to be home? Will she consider herself to be Hungarian? And if I was to interview her in 20 or 30 years, what do you think her storied recipe would be?
1: I think she will definitely think she's Hungarian Mm. (laughs) because she grows up here. Her only involved grandparent is her Hungarian grandma. She has so many relatives here everybody speaks hungarian she's gonna go to hungarian kindergarten hungarian school probably Mm. um homeschooling is not allowed here actually we were considering that but it's not currently allowed Mm -hmm. here so she probably will be so involved in hungarian life um Mm. that definitely and we're not planning on visiting mm. russia
0: so much either you're not i was gonna ask Um, you will that make you sad if she considers herself hungarian
1: no Mm, no. (laughs) i don't consider myself russian anything anymore Mm. Honestly, Mm -hmm. Russian, Ukrainian, I kind of, when you leave your country, you know, there's this picture that they like to show to whoever goes um, on missions that there's a circle that is, uh, let's say, uh, what is it, blue and a circle that is yellow. So -hmm. like you're a person from the yellow country and you travel to a blue country and then you go back to your yellow country and realize that you've become green Green. because you Mm -hmm. become a mix of both and so you don't find home in either so you mm-hmm. you get used to being a third culture person and yes that's how i identify myself too and i don't mind if she will think that she's hungarian mm-hmm. i'm okay with that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and if she were to be on a story recipe i don't know because right now we're feeding her beef but probably, <laughs> right <laughs> probably she will have a story with potato dish because I like making potatoes in all Mm. kinds of ways. Mm. There is some way of potatoes.
0: (laughs) Potatoes are my favorite comfort food as well. (laughs) Roasted potatoes, mashed potatoes, boiled potatoes.
1: Yeah, you can make so many things with them.
0: Any kind of potatoes. I love them. I love them. I love them. Well, I'll ask you this, this one last question, because um, this will probably go out around Easter. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll be in Germany still. Easter. We'll actually celebrate mm-hmm. Easter in Germany, so it won't come out till after that, but it'll be near Easter, mm-hmm. um, which of course is um, probably the biggest Christian holiday. Um, mm-hmm. I think some make it Christmas, but Christmas is more of a cultural holiday. And I think Easter as a, you know, for the religion is the, is mm-hmm. the biggest holiday. So I guess my last question is what, what does Easter mean to you now?
1: <laughs> well, it definitely changed now the way we celebrate easter than from the way we celebrated it at home Mm. in russia and i think easter for us is a celebration of resurrection of jesus and it's um a day when you spend time with you know family and friends and the church and i remember i mean i sadly i think it's not as centered around jesus so much as Mm. it could be because of the whole you know family friends making Mm -hmm. food and everything it's kind of like another holiday i think if you're a single person, maybe it's a little bit more possible to kind of take that time apart, set the time apart and make mm-hmm. it more about your faith. But I think Easter is just this, this happy time, time of remembrance, of course, but also it is a um, family time that kind of this whole um, business of food, having guests over takes your mind off of the main thing. Maybe with time, we will find ways to celebrate. My husband actually thinks that we should make Easter a bigger deal than Christmas uh, in Mm -hmm. our family with the kids. And that he would like to come up with ways to celebrate it in meaningful ways Mm -hmm. within the family. But since... Abigail is still so small and she doesn't really understand mm-hmm, what's happening. Mm-hmm, We're kind mm-hmm. of free for now. <laughs> right. <laughs> later later you can, we will think
0: of that. <laughs> you can bring that up later for sure. For sure. Do you celebrate Lent in, in Hungary in your church?
1: Uh, Lent, is it the Friday before you or what is it? It's, oh, it's the
0: six weeks leading up to it no that's ah,
1: uh-huh yeah we do celebrate in russia rather in russia there is a whole huge fast that it doesn't matter what religion you are people generally fast for those 40 days but not like they don't eat anything they just right 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 go vegan
0: yeah. yeah they
1: go vegan and that's their fast here some people do just personally but mm. not church-wide either mm-hmm. I see. like that yeah
0: i see i see well, thank you so much for your time. Um, definitely for sharing your story. Um, thank you for sharing Palmeni with us. <laughs> and again, I thank you for what you're doing. Um, like you said, just that's that's what true religion is. I do agree with that. And so thank you very much for that.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was really, um, it was enjoyable to hear. It,
0: it was absolutely my pleasure. <laughs> um, really my privilege. Um, Thank you. God bless you and your husband and your baby girl, <laughs> Abigail. What a beautiful name. Please give them a hug and kiss for me.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Have Thank a great you, day Natasha.
0: I'm... Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you again for tuning into the Storied Recipe podcast. Just two quick reminders. First of all, if you would leave a five-star rating and review, that would help me a lot. And secondly, I would love for you to join the newsletter community. This is a place where um, my readers get to make a lot of comments um, and give a lot of input into um, past and also upcoming episodes, recipes, things like that. Um, Again, I'm so grateful to have you here today. And I hope you have a wonderful week,
1: my friends.